Alrighty, and today we're going to be talking about the World Economic Forum. It seems to me that the World Economic Forum has been in a lot of conversations recently, but a lot of people don't really know what it is, um, what its history is, and its involvement in various different parts of the world. So I'm going to introduce you guys to the World Economic Forum, the history of it, the purpose of it, and uh, how you uh, might be affected by its policies today and into the future. So the World Economic Forum is the Forrest Gump of world affairs. And what do I mean by that? Uh, they appear in every major news event since its conception in 1972. The organization is a forum of the most powerful businessmen, politicians, civic leaders, NGOs, which are non-governmental organizations, and economists who work to develop policy for the entire world it is the economic engine of the world economy. Or in political terms, it would be considered the Department of Commerce for the world government. The key leaders in this organization work to distribute economic policy that they deem suitable for the world to every nation in attendance. Nations that receive financing from central banks like the IMF or International Monetary Fund, for those of you who don't know, the World Bank, Federal Reserve Bank, etc., are essentially forced to implement the policies that are developed through this organization. If they don't play by the rules, then they end up in color revolutions as a method of replacing a government that's more favorable to the World Economic Forum policies that were instilled. Recent examples would be Iraq, Libya, Iran, France, the UK, Ukraine, and yes, even America as of 2020 election. So let's break all of this down. The World Economic Forum is a think tank. And if you've been following the podcast for a while, then you will know that our world is run by think tanks. And there's quite a few of them. There's the Council on Foreign Relations. You could even say the United Nations is a large think tank. Um, the World Health Organization is also a subsidiary of the United Nations. They would be considered a think tank. And it's not that think tanks are bad. You know, businesses use think tanks all of the time to develop policies uh, going into their business or to make their company better, uh, to make their nation better. So, you know, to have these sort of what I would call non-governmental organizations, they, they say that they're not a part of our government, but yet they have all of this influence and power over our government policies. To have them is not a totally negative thing. I do believe that that is a great way to instill wonderful policies that uh, could uh, look out for the best interests of the individual. The problem is the World Economic Forum and organizations like it develop policies in their image of the world, which in many cases deals around occultist, uh, really even satanic, evil perceptions of the world. And yes, a lot of people involved in the in these various groups, these think tanks, um, you know, they're pedophiles in many cases. Uh, I would say that they have a of evil agenda when you really look at it and you read their books and you study it's not just um, about you know what they want to do for the world and they care for the world um, it's the way they want to organize the world a lot of it has to do with depopulation a lot of it has to do with the allocation of resources in their desired way so meaning that they don't necessarily like the way the system of the world works today they'd like to change that up and make it to where uh, people only get a limited amount of resources they do fall in line with a an agenda of depopulation. They look at the uh, carbon footprint of human beings all the time and say that we need to reduce 
human population. And so, again, it's fun to talk about that stuff if you're um, in a position where you stay alive and uh, you end up trying to kill off some other part of the population, whether through abortion um, or through some other means of killing people, like genocide, which we know of seen genocide, not just in World War II, people tend to obsess over World War II, um, but genocide is happening in Africa right now. You know, uh, for example, they don't like a tribe and they want to destroy the entire tribe. But guess what? It is a, a spiritual embezzlement, I believe, inside of people to live in this occultist mindset where they want to control the world, right? And so let's look at the World Economic Forum in particular today. So Professor Klaus Schwab founded what was originally called the European Management Forum as a nonprofit foundation based in Geneva, Switzerland. There's a very key there. Uh, and it drew business leaders from Europe and beyond to Davos for an annual meeting each January. So every single year since 1971, they've had an annual meeting there in uh, Davos, Switzerland. And a lot of people call it the Davos Group. And if you know anything about Switzerland, Switzerland essentially is the financier of the world. Uh, they have the Swiss bank account, that idea of having a Swiss bank account. You've heard about it in Wall Street, uh, Wolf on Wall Street, right? Uh, in those famous movies where they offshore money into Swiss bank accounts because Switzerland essentially is um, a neutral country. It is immune from normal uh, regulations from the world. And I would say, of course, even in World War II, in the, in the middle of embattled Europe, somehow Switzerland remained neutral. And there's a reason for that. Uh, the bankers are there in Switzerland. Uh, the country is protected by certain layers of regulation um, and um, governmental entities that essentially c control it, right? And I would say the reason for that is because it is the banking system for Europe, mainly Europe. Uh, and that's why it's never necessarily been in war. And I don't see any, foresee any conflict ever hurting Switzerland. By the way, every person in Switzerland is trained and is forced to be in the military over there uh, for at least, I think it's a two-year period or something like that. Uh, but that gives you an idea of Switzerland. And you can see why in Davos, uh, that's where there's a city in Switzerland, that's where the World Economic Forum meets every single year. Klaus Schwab was a German engineer who was born from Nazi parents in 1938. His father owned an engineering company that built turbines for the Third Reich. And if you don't know what that is, that essentially is the uh, German government during the time of the Nazi reign and Hitler's power. His father was awarded the National Socialist Model Company, meaning the Nazi company. It's, it's an award they used to give out. Just to give you an idea of how high up in the Nazi party he was. So yes, to sit there and say that Klaus Schwab's father was just some regular low-level guy. He wasn't involved in Nazis at all. No, no, he was definitely a Nazi. He was a high-up Nazi. And again, I would say like father, like son. Klaus is just a product of his father. And he eventually had a position on the board of that company in his 20s. Um, and he, uh, d during his working years early on, he helped create... Uh, a, a six nuclear bombs for the corrupt government of South Africa at the time. So that's how he uh, kind of uh, worked his way up, if you will, in the in the government circles and, and the trust circles that essentially go around that that area. And so I'll also link, by the way, the, this one website goes into the Klaus Schwab's history. And it also uh, talks about Henry Kissinger, another very important, prominent person, which we're going to talk about in a second. Klaus Schwab attended Harvard 
So Klaus Schwab, um, he was a German-born uh, in engineer, and uh, eventually he ended up going to uh, Harvard. And so in the 1960s, so he befriended there as while he was there, he befriended one of the most well-known power figures in the globalist circle circles, and his name is Henry Kissinger. I would say the king of American foreign policy, and he is that. Uh, it's incredible how much he has influenced uh, our State Department. So we now know that the CIA and Council on Foreign Relations group, with the help of Henry Kissinger, secretly assisted Klaus Schwab in establishing the World Economic Forum. So that is the beginning of the World Economic Forum. There's a lot of different powers involved, uh, the CIA, America, Henry Kissinger. And again, Henry Kissinger, if you know anything about him, he is a very well-known globalist. He was uh, the head of our State Department for years. And just so you understand, our State Department is the exporter of not just American policy around the world, but the American empire under the guise of trying to uh, instill democracy and support democracy. You know, a U.S. embassy around the world, I would say, is considered a, a minder or a, an authority figure, no matter where it is. Um, and of course, depending on the country, there varies. But ultimately, our State Department is really what runs the American empire. And this is not what the founding fathers wanted. This isn't the America that we want, I guess you could say, as regular citizens, you and I. But I can say that, you know, when you have this level of influence around the world and you have the U.S. dollar being the petrodollar and the world reserve currency and these things, you know, this sets up an opportunity for very corrupt individuals to take advantage of this. And so the problem with, I guess you could say today, in today's world, the America is viewed as a declining power. And so there are numbers of people who are corrupting the West and trying to destroy it and to rebuild it in a new image. And the World Economic Forum is a perfect example of exactly that. So let's take a look, a brief look at the history. I'm just gonna point out a few different things here throughout the years from the 1970s up until 2020 and what the World Economic Forum has done to assert its level of influence. So during 1974 to 1976, there was an oil crisis, an oil embargo. And so uh, the World Economic Forum uh, at the time was called the European Management Forum. They had brought Arab and European countries together to solve the oil embargo. Sounds like a good idea. Uh, that's through peace talks and negotiation. We like that. There was an oil embargo because the Middle East saw the Europeans as backing Israel. And there was a big feud between that. And so the uh, Middle Eastern uh, oil-rich countries had put an embargo and stopped shipping oil to Europe. And it basically caused an entire crisis. And uh, of course, America was also part of that inflation and gas prices during that time. So very, very similar, I would say, to um, today's gas prices. We have embargoes, supply and demand, the, these kinds of issues. And so, of course, if you were smart in our government, you would think that maybe you would use more domestic product, domestic oil to uh, supply our own country, uh, but we'll, we won't get into that right now. And so in 1977, uh, there was a Soviet political dissident speaking about cutting the Western businesses off from funding the Soviet regime. Now, again, these are at the Davos meetings, just to be clear. These are key highlights, by the way, coming from the, the World Economic Forum website themselves. So this isn't me 
making this up. This isn't some conspiracy website. This is directly from the mouth of the beast, if you will. This is from their website. And this is what they claim to have done during this time period. So uh, there was a dissident, as I mentioned, the Soviet re regime uh, speaking in 1977 at the meeting there. This meeting also focused on turning the press into members themselves in an attempt to have influence over what they decided to publish. So the Bilderberg Group has been around since 1954. We'll go ahead and do probably do a podcast over the Bilderberg Group. They're, they do uh, have, I would say they have a half circles. So they definitely come together in many cases. So you'll see that there's a revolving door between Bilderberg Group, Council on Foreign Relations, and the World Economic Forum. And again, I don't want to just oversimplify something and say that everyone involved with all of these organizations are all evil or they have a, a malicious intent. I won't necessarily 100% say that with a fact, but I can say that the overarching theme of these organizations is to instill a globalist world order, and they openly talk about that. This is an open conspiracy, if you will. So uh, there was, in 1977, they decided to bring on journalists and the press from various different uh, news outlets, BBC and CNN, uh, large New York Times, you know, th these are larger news organizations. And so they wanted to recruit these journalists to be a part of this new forum that was being developed. And so that's kind of what happened there. 1978, let's see. The Davos meeting was struck with a security concern when a German executive from a high-level engineering company was kidnapped and killed. Essentially, that's like, like Klaus Schwab. Um, he was set to be the top organizer for the event itself in 1978. So in problem-reaction-solution fashion, the Davos meeting became a complete secret and implemented extreme security for the participants from that year forward. So let's think about that. You never let a crisis go to waste, right? So what they did here was they were able to use this this horrible news story that a, a top level executive was kidnapped and killed in order to implement security uh, measures that all of the participants willingly just you know handled and, and and went through no problem. And what what happened then was it became a secret meeting from then on. They had to keep the location secret. They didn't allow press. They didn't allow the public. Uh, things like that started to occur in order to quote unquote protect these high uh, high value targets basically. In 1979, uh, this was significant for the presence of top level Chinese economists which opened the door for China. So during this time, Red China wasn't, they were pretty isolationist. They weren't really that interested in trying to play uh, with the economic position of the world. And uh, you know, this is during the time when Henry Kissinger and our you know State Department with Nixon in prior years, and then Jimmy Carter and later in Reagan's administration were trying to use China to fight the Soviet Union to try to turn China into this sort of capitalist uh, fused communist state that could uh, pose a threat to the Soviet Union. So the president of China was focused on turning away from the purely communist economic doctrines and moving into a socialist market system. This is where organizations like the China Enterprise Management Association were able to open up economic relations with European companies. This was what began the coercion of the West and the Chinese Communist Party. 
the, uh, the World Economic Forum was instrumental in opening that line of connection, which the Chinese used as a way to subvert the West, steal their technology, steal their industry, steal their weapons secrets, and implement their idea of world domination. It's funny because in 1979, they were being pressured to join the World Economic Forum, to join the European nations at the time, to set up a Western-style economic policy in their country. And so they had sent delegates to this, these organizations to try, try to you know, get some kind of value from it. But what would end up happening was the Chinese Communist Party, they had their own idea of taking over the world. They have their own vision of a new world order. And uh, from there, I would say as a historian and someone who's following this and looking at today, I would say that this was when the Chinese decided, let's be a part of the world economy, but let's do it in our way. And let's subvert the West to give us all of their products and industry and technology and work uh, and, and jobs to essentially make our country a powerhouse in order to take over the world. I would say that's probably around the years when they were talking about that high level up in the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, in 1980, Davos meeting had a special guest named Henry Kissinger. So here we're seeing that revolving door. He, uh, who was a Harvard professor, mostly known as the foremost expert in American foreign affairs throughout the 1970s. As I said, I would say he is the king of American foreign policy. His speech at the Davos meeting was recognized as an American entrance of influence over the World Economic Forum. So how much American influence was there prior? I'm not sure, but it seems that this was the uh, year 1980 when America started to come into the World Economic Forum. But remember, it was called the European Management Forum at this time. 1983, the Davos meeting brought together the trade ministers from around the world to establish the new world trading system. This would be a huge step towards their goal of creating a more, and this is my quote, uh, their quote, more globalized world. So they themselves call it globalization. They want to quote unquote connect all of the world. But in reality, what we've been noticing is that they've been setting up trade to benefit this free trade system that really takes away from the nation state, takes away from the individualism of the nation state, and then puts into a collectivist model this idea that trade should be free and should be uh, no, no tariffs whatsoever, even though we know today that tariffs are how, you, how a country makes its money. Whether you're trying to come into their market and sell your product into a new market, into another nation, or whether that nation is trying to sell products into your market, into your nation. That's how uh, the economy really works. In 1987, uh, I'm just going through each year of the Davos meeting, uh, the European Management Forum changed its name officially to the World Economic Forum after it had successfully brought in industrialists and politicians from all over the world and every major power except the Soviet Union. So I want you to look at today's history. Like imagine the Soviet Union uh, at the time was this nemesis of the World Economic Forum, this nemesis of, uh, of NATO and the European powers, the Western-backed powers at the time. And, and with due cause, because the Soviet Union was doing incredibly horrible things to not only their own people, but to the people of Poland, Ukraine, uh, Czechoslovakia, and all these other Eastern European countries under the Warsaw Pact, which was which saw that unification of the Soviet Union. So it's just kind of interesting to look at you know um, 
how the World Economic Forum has already positioned itself against the Soviet Union, uh, of course, probably begging the Soviet Union to be involved because they're looking for a new world order, but the Russians were kind of skeptical of the World Economic Forum. 1990 was the year after the Berlin Wall came down and ended the division of Germany. At this Davos meeting, West Germany's federal chancellor, Helmut Kohl, and East German uh, Prime Minister, Hans Madro, came to an agreement to reunite Germany. Very important aspects here, guys. Remember, Germany was split up after World War II. There was a British sector. There was an American sector. There was a small French sector of Germany. And then the east part of Germany was all belonged to the Soviet Union. So it actually was Soviet Union territory. And Berlin was located directly inside of the Soviet Union zone. So the west had to use trains to get back and forth to their area of Berlin. Berlin was split as well into uh, four different sectors, being the British, American, French, and the Soviet Union on the east. And you can look at all, all these little maps. So when, when you have the Berlin Wall, th that didn't happen until a little bit later when they constructed that wall and there was an entire embattlement after uh, World War II. This basically was World War III, was this uh, what was happening in Berlin, the secret police, the kidnapping of scientists, both West and East uh, were doing that. And it was just an incredible time during uh, the fall of, of Germany. And so here we are years later in 1990, where there was the fall of the Soviet Union, which they kind of skipped that uh, part right there uh, when they were talking about what was going on around the world at that time. But what was most important was Germany. Germany is considered the powerhouse of Europe today. Okay, but remember, it was split up and it was totally destroyed after World War II and it was, you know, t taken advantage of. I'm talking like down to like stolen art, stolen technology out of Germany. Just so much history. Everything was just robbed from that place. And it was both sides. There was American artists and, and people uh, who were museum artifact collectors who were arrested because they had all this German art in their apartment in San Francisco. I mean, there's just an endless amount of incredible history there. And so for them to unite Germany under one in 1990, that's a big deal. So the World Economic Forum, once again, is a part of history. They are always the Forrest Gump of historical events. And so 1998, so I skipped a handful of years there, Hillary Clinton was one of the main speakers at the Davos meeting. So back then, of course, Hillary Clinton was the first lady, right, of Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time. So this is where America is starting to really implement themselves there. And of course, Hillary Clinton knew that she had aspirations uh, to be president one day. Uh, but if you know her, she was the secretary of state and she was very involved in our state department and all the corruption there. And I'm telling you guys, the state department in this country, the CIA is a part of, is an arm, is the military arm of our state department. Our state department is the most corrupt element of our country. And it doesn't have to be that way. Our state department is really dedicated to looking for American interests all over the world. And that is what they're supposed to be doing. Well, instead, you get all of these uh, amb uh, uh, ambassadors to different countries, and they think they're the most important people in those countries all over the world, and they do corrupt dealings. 
dealing with uh, central banks, dealing with our own economic stimulus, which is what our taxpayers in America end up paying all these random countries to quote unquote build roads and all this. And unlike China, who actually does deals with different countries in order to benefit China, what sucks about the State Department is that since it's not necessarily looked at as, uh, as, a, as, as America wanting to be an empire the way China views itself, right? Instead, what happens is all of this the corrupt money funneling into different countries like Ukraine and Hunter Biden, the crackhead and all this stuff, what's happening is this is just our State Department's modus operandi. This is just how they work. They Instead of making it to where it seems like an American empire, the people who benefit are never the American people. The American people, the U.S. Treasury, uh, our American government does not benefit from the State Department doing these corrupt deals all over the world. The people who benefit are the ambassadors, the Secretary of State, the people in our government who do corrupt dealings. So really, they take our taxpayer dollars, they take central bank-funded dollars, and they fund projects in third-world countries and other places, and they end up getting the payoffs, and they end up getting all this money. Well, here we are with Hillary Clinton speaking at the Davos meeting. Again, the Davos meeting where they are developing economic policy. They are going to partner with all these countries, and they bring on countries like third-world countries, and they bring in all these economists to take a look at, oh, we're going to look at your, your country and we're going to uh, help rebuild your country. And this is at the World Economic Forum. This is where they actually come up with um, the concepts, the policies that they're going to implement, not only after the fact uh, during the event, but also with a loan guarantee. So these loan guarantees are from the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank. And what happens is if you ever go to a bank for an auto loan, people understand this. You have to talk about collateral and how much you make every year. And it's kind of a um, – they, they take a good look at who you are, right? They look at your credit. They look at uh, all these uh, – They it's depending on what you're getting, right? If it's an auto loan, maybe not so much, but a mortgage, for example – they have to sort of uh, uh, go through your entire financial life, right? All of your financials to prove that you can afford a mortgage. Well, the World Economic Forum basically is a place where central bankers show up and they see other nations who are developing that are desperate for money. Look at Ukraine. Look at what is the result of the World Economic Forum policies right here. So you have a country like Ukraine, a country like Nigeria and others. They come to these, uh, these events like the World Economic Forum and they've got the central bankers there, and they're like, hey, we have a team of German economists or English economists or, or uh, Italian economists or whatever, and they're going to they're gonna help you develop your country, but you have to follow their ideas, their policies, and then we'll give you, you know, $10 billion or, or $100 billion to fund various infrastructure projects in your country, and then that's how we'll loan you the money. But you have to use World Economic Forum certified policies in order for you to get the money. Does that make sense? This is how the world really works. And so in, that's in 1998. 2004, skipping over a couple years of the Davos meeting, what happened there? They had the initiation of the Young Global Leaders Summit at the Davos Forum. We'll go over that a little bit later, but basically it's a university of young people who are innovators, politicians, uh, civic leaders, and the like who go through this program and they learn what the World Economic Forum's perspective of the world is. And then they go out there, um, I would say like prophets of this, this World Economic Forum, to go into different countries, get elected in different parts of government in these countries, and then boom, they implement World Economic Forum policies in those various different countries. Again, is it to say that 
every single person who went to that class and graduated from the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum is, is pure evil and horrible and horrific. Um, that's a little bit immature in my opinion. I don't think that that's the case. I just know that the idea for the World Economic Forum to put together a, a class structure, a university on their policies, and then to send those people in the world to be elected in high places. And by the way, the, whenever they graduate from that, um, from the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Academy, they are funded by central banks and by other various means that the World Economic Forum is involved with to be elected in their states, in their counties, in their countries uh, all over the world, right? I mean, I can tell you one person for, in particular, Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw is a Republican um, Navy SEAL uh, uh, congressman, right? And well, the eye patch guy. Well, he's a World Economic Forum graduate. So a lot of his... Um, his ideas for his policies and the things that he backs are very World Economic Forum favored. Why is that? Because he essentially is controlled by them in every element of the word. And so you have to look at why they implement these kinds of things. 2005 saw a number of different people there, including uh, Bill Gates was there at the World Economic Forum in 2005. Uh, Hillary Clinton was there again, Bill Clinton and the newly elected leader, president of Ukraine, Viktor Yukashenko. So again, with Ukraine, it's kind of skeptical. We're looking at a Ukrainian war right now with Germany or with uh, Russia. Uh, and so we have to start asking ourselves, how did a lot of this begin? Well, again, here we are with the, U, the, the, the newly elected president, uh, Viktor Yushchenko, he was somebody who was looking to change Ukraine and, and get money from the International Monetary Fund to try and rebuild Ukraine, right? And these are the ways that they get corrupted because you have to follow the rules or else you get overthrown. So in 2008, the formation of the Network of Global Agenda Councils. This is where they actually put together a council that says, hey, this is the new agenda. We're going to have a global agenda that we're going to start implementing around the world. And, and again, to say that the World Economic Forum from the 1970s has the influence that it has today is just immature and it doesn't make a lot of sense. The World Economic Forum had to grow to become influential. It had to work its ass off, basically, putting together these meetings, putting the right people in, the, in those rooms, having the right discussions, being a part of diplomacy, being a part of, of negotiations for various different countries. I mean, this is the hard work that the World Economic Forum put in in those early years, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, in order to become a global superpower in the early 2000s and even today. So we have to look at that. So here they are developing their network of global agenda councils. I'm sure that they really looking for our best interests there. The members of this group would be responsible to <clears throat> fundamentally reboot capitalism. That is their words, okay? They acknowledged their, this year, in 2008, a focus on global corporations in the global space, which is beyond control of the nation states to form their own policies for the world. This is the creation of the global corporate cabal in a micro scale. So let's look at this. So when they put together global corporations, this is still also a very new concept. You know, companies used to be very nationalistic. Companies used to be very much like, hey, we're based in one country and that's that's all we're, we're worried about. Nowadays, global corporations are all over the world. They've got 
Like Nike has manufacturing in China. It's got marketing development here in America. It was built here. They've got other elements, offices that do different things in Canada. You know, co uh, companies like large corporations are becoming more and more global. They're found all over the world and they use people of all different languages to run a company. These are the global companies that are going to essentially take control of the world. I mean, the Facebooks of the world, Apple, um, these are all huge, massive, uh, billion, multi-billion dollar, in some cases, trillion dollar companies. And uh, this is where they decided to essentially go beyond the control of nation states. And, and I say that because Nation states and national sovereignty is a very important topic that people tend to uh, disregard as, oh, to, to be a nationalist or to look out for your national interest is somehow, uh, maybe it's racist. I don't know what kind of card you want to pull out on this one, but um, it's a various different amounts of problems when you think of, oh, I want to look out for my own country. Uh, whereas we know that if you look out for your own family and you take care of your own family, you show up better in the world. Just like a nation should be looking uh, over their own citizenry and be worried about their own citizens. Now, when these companies are going global, whether they're from Switzerland, France, America, the UK, or wherever, these global companies are not, they have no national interest. They have no national nationality. Um, they are global powers, and that's how they see themselves, right? That was in 2008. In 2009, the Davos meeting was titled Reshaping the post-crisis world. Sound familiar, right? After the financial crash of 2008, this was the beginning of the beta version of the Great Reset. So in 2009, this is January 2009, you have to imagine the world at that time, you know, there was a financial collapse all over the country because of bankers using uh, loans that were never guaranteed to be paid back. And then this sort of housing crisis developed, this housing bubble developed, right? Then the financial crash. Well, the Davos meeting essentially came together and said, we're going to reshape the world in our image using this crisis. So this is the idea. It's problem, reaction, solution. This is a constant flow of engagement that uh, think tanks like the World Economic Forum use to take control of various aspects of the world. 2011 meeting centered around the North African and Middle Eastern politics. This was the crisis of revolution in Libya in particular. So if you don't know anything about Libya, Gaddafi wanted to do gold instead of, you know, the petrodollar and for his oil. And he wanted to create an African union and he wanted to do all these things. And uh, that wasn't very cool. And so if you are going against the World Economic Forum policies and you don't trust them and you don't think that they should just loan you all this money and take control over your country, then, uh, you know, you're going to get a little bit of a revolution and it may be political. Um, or it may be a military style revolution where like you saw in the Arab Spring in 2011 where the, America along with other Western nations actually funded Al-Qaeda groups and developed and created ISIS to overthrow Libya. And then ISIS turned into their own monster, Frankenstein style, and ended up taking control of various parts of Egypt and then over into uh, Iraq. Uh, which was already devastated by globalism uh, being the United States coming in there and destroying the country because Saddam Hussein also wanted to get off the petrodollar and turned his back on our CIA who gave him power. So, you know, this is just another element of that. And that's in 2011. We're going to have to organize this and make sure we take care of this problem. And I think soon after in 2011, um, uh, Muhammad uh, Magmar, 
Gaddafi. I know Gaddafi's last name. I can't say his full name, first name. But um, he actually ended up getting killed in 2011. So again, is the World Economic Forum, how, how, how involved is the World Economic Forum in various different coups in the world and different things? And I wouldn't say they're alone in this. There's, there's other elements of power. There's other you know think tanks that organize different things like that. 2015 saw the Swiss Federal Council recognizing the World Economic Forum as an international organization, which gave them more rights to develop policy in the public-private sector. So there's this key word in, in, in politics that people don't see, seem to overlook, um, or they do overlook. It's called the public-private sector. This idea that you could have private money coming into the public uh, uh, governmental organizations to instill policy, uh, that's exactly what it is. So this public-private partnerships are the what we saw with um, COVID-19, for example, right? Uh, you had uh, various NGOs and pharmaceutical companies funding bioweapons labs that are government-run to develop bioweapons that they say that they're just making to make vaccines against so that if in case there's a bioweapon release or if there is a wild virus that mirrors some kind of bioweapon that they are making, uh, that they have a vaccine ready for it. So it's kind of this backward revolving door of like, who's a private company versus who's a part of the government. And it's this revolving door uh, idea and concept that um, creates these crises that we are constantly being uh, victim to. So the public-private sector. So when, when, when I see that the Swiss Federal Council recognizes the World Economic Forum as an international organization, th th that is a way of saying the Swiss are looking at this as, hey, this is a real public-private organization that has rights to implement policies in different parts of the world. Very, very important title. Uh, 2016, the Davos meeting was was named the Fourth Industrial Revolution. There's a book out there about the Fourth Industrial Revolution written by Klaus Schwab, uh, which focused on technology being at the forefront of global change and influence, remaking the world using advanced technology. So in 2016, the Davos meeting was all about artificial intelligence. How can this artificial intelligence grow and become a part of the world in their their world vision, uh, their idea of the world. So if you get to that place, you start to think about it. And, you know, th these ideas about technology and about uh, controlling various industries, things like that, this is another important element to controlling the rest of the world. And this is where we are pretty much today when we saw this this entire technological change. Look at mRNA vaccines and the like, right? Uh, but also AI technologies that are going to take over jobs and, and doing th things like that. So the 2020 uh, meeting, I actually told myself to act, to really go through this. So um, I'm going to read from the actual website here. The fourth industrial revolution is not only disrupting business models, but also transforming the way we live and work. So this is 2020, guys. It's the meeting in 2020. This is the stuff that they were talking about in January of 2020 before the pandemic really kicked off. Climate change has become the paramount challenge of humankind. Climate change is a lie. Climate change is BS. Um, but, uh, you know, the I can't actually do that uh, because th the thing is, is like 2020 is a, a time for them to essentially launch their idea of a world order, right? Uh, their idea 
of uh, the full implementation of the World Economic Forum policies, right? So that's a that's a it's a little a little historical overlook of the uh, of the World Economic Forum, right? And all of the things that they've done. And uh, I I wrote another little uh, piece here about the purpose essentially of the World Economic Forum. And so I wrote here that the forum is best known for its annual meeting in Davos, as we've been mentioning, and through the years, numerous business, government, and civil society leaders have made their way to the high Alps to consider the major global issues of the day and to brainstorm on solutions to address these challenges. Again, sounds really, really wonderful. Um, but when you look at it, as I mentioned through the histor historical context, it looks like they're not just looking to respond to various crises in the world, but they are looking to create crisis and to solve that crisis through their own implementation. And so I will say that also, the idea of climate change is another example of this. Is the climate changing? Yes. Is was it was it once called global warming? Yes. But you're supposed to forget about that because the globe isn't really warming that much. So you're supposed to just call it man-made. Is climate change man-made? I don't know. There's not really a lot of evidence that supports that actually. And carbon dioxide is what plants breathe. So that's weird that we're demonizing carbon and no one really seems to understand it. They think that it's a gas that's blocking the sun and. It's just a lot of insanity, but that's okay because the vaccines are insane. The idea of wearing a mask to stop a virus is insane. So clearly we know that they don't care of what is true. Uh, what they look at is, is what can be manipulated in order for them to implement their own idea of the world. So, you know, this is kind of the, the whole wrap up on the World Economic Forum. I know that you guys have heard about it. You've heard some podcasts talk about the World Economic Forum. You've heard some kind of YouTube clips or whatever. But this is how the world essentially works, okay? The idea here is that think tanks like the World Economic Forum and others work to develop policy that they then implement through national leaders saying that it's their idea to further their own agenda. And so these national leaders are all singing the same tune. And we saw that most clearly with the COVID-19 response, with the masking, the social distancing, the halting of travel and the shutting down of businesses, and then later the rollout of the vaccines. That is a World Economic Forum policy idea. That is where they have think tanks that organize these policies and distribute them to down from the world idea into your local county, down to your city council level. You understand that these policies are being distributed at every single level. Whereas usually governments don't work that way. Governments find out what works best in their nation, what works best with their people and their culture. And uh, I would even say their diets or their way of life. You know, there are certain things in nations that make us different. As much as we'd like to believe that every human being in the world is the same, you know, we get to have this perspective in America because we see people of all colors, shapes, and creeds coming together with no issues at all. But what about China, the most homogeneous population in the world? They are all Chinese, some of the most racist human beings in the world. They would never, ever, ever allow you to marry a, a black person, a Hispanic person, 
or even a Japanese or Korean person in their family. That's how racist China is. And so to say that, you know, we have this perspective in America, oh, everything's fine. We're, we've all come together, made it work, and we're a globalized world. No, we're not a globalized world. You know, the, the na nations all over the world, are ha they're prideful. They have their own culture. They have their own cuisines. They have their own way of life. Um, they have their own languages. And the more and more we try to make a, a, a world language, a world religion, uh, a world culture, it's just not ever going to work. We have to respect individuality. We have to respect the cultures and uh, respective um, uh, ideas coming from various different na nations all over the world. So we have to get to that point. And so this is where we are having to defeat concepts like the World Economic Forum, probably even end the entire thing or uh, dramatically decrease the influence that it has over our policies on a local level. And that requires taking control of our local politicians, our local offices, to our state offices, to the national level. And, uh, and you look at uh, nations who have tried to do this and you look at the kinds, of, uh, the kinds of fallback they get, right? I mean, look at Trump. Trump wasn't necessarily a part of the Davos group, the Davos meetings, and the, the World Economic Forum. And uh, even though he did speak at the Davos meeting in one of the years he was president, he wasn't a part of their agenda. He was not implementing their agenda, their worldview into America. He was doing the opposite. And that is why uh, the World Economic Forum and the people in those power structures used the funding and the, uh, and the overthrow of of trump to instill biden and somebody who is going along with the quote-unquote great reset which is even a more a, a newer a lot of people know what the great reset is but that's that's just that's new that's klaus schwab's sort of new idea um uh, that well he's spoken about before in in pr previous decades but he wrote a book about it in 2020 so a lot of people talk about the great reset as the world economic forum but that is not all they are you know they have other ideas for the world so just thought I'd have you guys drop in and check out what exactly the World Economic Forum is. I'll be uploading all of this today, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. You guys have a great rest of your day. Peace.